Good morning, Redemption Hill. Good to see you. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And uh, we are going to get the opportunity to look at God's Word uh, and continue to, to talk about the mission of our church uh, and specifically in serving in the church. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we go ahead and pray and then we'll turn to God's Word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Uh, thank you for being a father who communicates and who uh, addresses your children and in all the things that we need as your people, uh, you provide uh, through your word. You provide encouragement and exhortation and instruction and you direct our hearts, God. And so I pray during this time that that would occur, that our hearts would be molded by you and um, conform to the ways that, that you have laid out for us as your people. So lead us in this time, lead me in this time, help us to benefit from this time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to forgive me for starting off the sermon with some potty talk, but I'm going to need to do that. Um, I think potty training is a window into a child's personality. Uh, for us, it's been kind of a, a learning process to learn the personalities of our kids. Um, you know, initially we just kind of asked them to do it and they desired to please us and so uh, they did it. Uh, and the next child came along and we thought, this is a cinch, no problem, they'll just do the same thing and we tried that and it did not work at all. Uh, but as soon as that child saw their sibling doing it, that made all the difference in the world for whatever reason and so then they did it. Our last uh, episode of potty training uh, because we're either custom fit parents or just exhausted. We just resorted to straight cash. Our youngest just got a buck a day for a month if she stayed dry and accidents cost her a dollar. So our budget won out. She got to all have all this frozen two memorabilia in her life and it was a win for everybody. Uh, but each child was different. Uh, and that's because people are complicated, right? We are motivated by all kinds of different things, by by fear, uh, by love, by greed, by the need to please other people. We're motivated by pleasure, or by duty, by self-preservation. And if you just take a second and consider the last 24 hours and, and the reasons why you did what you did, um, getting up to go to work, if you're still able to do that. Uh, why did you do that? Was it to, to pay bills? Was it the excitement to advance your career? Was it fear of getting fired? Was it Try not to disappoint someone. Why did you wear a mask inside of a grocery store? Did you feel the need to be compliant with the law? Was it the pressure of not wearing one and the looks you would get for doing that? Um, was it loving those who were vulnerable uh, in the ways that we know about? Why did you take extra time with that meal or say what you said or order that thing online? Just think about what motivated you the last 24 hours to do what you did. If you just do that quickly, you'll, you'll realize there's just all kinds of different motivations that we have in doing what we do. And so my question for us this morning is, why do we serve the church family? What's supposed to motivate us to do that? We've been slowly teaching through the different aspects of our mission, uh, which is all of Christ, in all of life, for all the world. And in all of life, we've broken down into five main contexts or five environments that we submit to the Lordship of Christ and follow him. Uh, that's our hearts, our homes, 
our church, our work, and then our community around us. And so we've asked, what does it look like to follow him in those aspects of life? And so we've been looking at the church. Last time we talked about the practice of church discipline and why we would do that. And this morning we're considering why we're serving, why we serve uh, the church family. And so a lot of us out of the gate, just our knee-jerk reaction is we serve because uh, we have a duty to serve. Everybody should serve. I feel bad if I don't serve. Um, everybody has to, and, and you're not family until you take out the trash kind of a mentality. And so we all chip in um, because it's just got to be done. Now, I want to be careful not to rule out duty as an important uh, motive for service because Jesus does, after all, say in Luke 17.10, when he compares us to slaves, he says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So Jesus doesn't back down from duty. And serving the church is certainly more than duty, as we'll see, but it's not less. See, our sense of duty is meant to keep us consistent in our service, to, to be faithful in those gaps when we lack motivation. It's meant to kind of fill in and help us when we're lagging or uninspired or unmotivated in a difficult season. But ministry is like a marriage. It isn't designed to run solely on duty. There's way more to it. So what if there were different, longer-lasting motivations that would empower us to serve in the Church of Christ? I'd like to explore one of those this morning with the goal of kind of stirring us up not to just be faithful in our service, but joyful in our service as well. So we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 this morning. And as we look to this text, I want you also to notice the servant and the motive uh, of this servant, Peter, and what he's saying about it. We'll notice, uh, and this is really our point for this morning, that service is an invitation to know God more. Service is an invitation to know God more. So here's our brief outline this morning. We'll, we'll talk about implications of these as we go through them. There's three. One, to know the giver of gifts. Number two, know his multifaceted grace. And number three, where we'll spend most of our time, know his strengthening power. So let me read our text for us. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Uh, feel free to follow along in your Bibles at home. Here's what it says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is writing this letter as a pastor to people who are suffering, and he's writing with a sense of urgency because God's people are in the last chapter of God's salvation story. That's what he means by the end of all things is at hand in verse 7. 
It's not because Peter has some information that no one else has. He just knows that in God's redemptive story, we're in the last chapter. And it's a bit like pregnancy, where there's, there's pain involved. You don't know exactly when the baby's coming, but there are signs that things are progressing, right? And if the contractions are starting to get closer together and the woman's water breaks, and you need to be preparing in a different kind of way because you know that the end of the process is near. You need to be alert in a different kind of way. And that's what Peter is saying to them. He's saying life in this final chapter should consist of a few things. There should be self-control and sober-mindedness, which is kind of maintaining an alert perspective. He talks about it a lot in this letter. But he says, above those things, in contrast, if you really have to do one of those things, make sure to keep loving one another earnestly, he says. This is where Peter is talking about service, about ministry, about love within the church. Now, we don't have time to address every aspect of this, of this text, but I want you to notice how he talks about service and what he calls us to. We want to see how service is related to knowing God and how that's a motive. And so Peter, the first thing he tells us and calls us to is to know the giver of these gifts. In verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. He says that these gifts were given for a purpose, right? They were given for the purpose of serving one another. Now, where do these gifts come from? Peter describes those who've received these gifts as stewards, which is a, a, a carefully chosen word. Stewards are given responsibility for someone, or something, right? They don't own things. They manage the resources of another. Gifts need a giver, and stewards need a master. And so Peter is helping us to see that these gifts are coming from a source. They're coming from someone else outside of us. And that person is God. You know, a lot of the time we attribute people's skills or talents or personalities or even the ways that they serve uh, we treat those like natural abilities, like they're intrinsic to them. We'll say things like they're a merciful kind of person and they're a natural speaker or they're, they're a servant at heart or things like that. And to a degree, that's true, but we don't want to lose sight of what Peter is telling us here. We, we affirm people are unique and all those things are true, but Peter is saying that these abilities, these talents, these abilities to serve are the result of a generous gift from God that will demand an eventual accounting in the end. So though God's grace is distributed naturally from person to person, these gifts that we receive are actually supernatural. They come from God and are gifts given to us. Now, what are the implications for this? This means that when we experience ministry from another person, we are actually experiencing the grace of God. Or when we are serving another person and they are experiencing our ministry to them, they are experiencing God's direct grace. So we're vessels, we're channels. You see how ministry is an invitation to know and experience God's generosity if we understand that the gifts to serve come from God. So we can leave those interactions or those, those ministry contexts feeling encouraged, thinking, isn't God so good to have provided that servant to minister to me in that way? 
that's a little bit different than just saying, oh, well, Joe's a really kind guy. I really appreciate Joe. So all the ways that you have benefited um, or others have benefited from you have come first from God's good hand. We're stewards of these gifts. We're not owners of these gifts. And Peter wants us to know that so that we know the giver of those gifts. And we recognize that as ministry occurs within the body. The second thing that Peter shows us or calls us to know about God is to know his multifaceted grace. To know his multifaceted grace. You know, God isn't like the relative who gives the same gift every year, right? It's socks at Christmas just for simplicity's sake, and there's just kind of this wave of socks given to 20 different people in the family. There's, there's varying shapes and sizes and, and ways that God gives gifts. There's a lot of different lists of gifts, gifts in the New Testament, uh, which kind of shows us there's no master list, right? Three are mentioned here, hospitality and speaking and then serving. And these gifts are very different. Now, Peter says again earlier, he said, above all, we should keep loving one another earnestly, which begs the question, well, what form or what shape is that love supposed to take? And so these are examples of the kind of love that should characterize the church in the last chapter of God's salvation story. Peter gets really concrete about what this love could specifically look like. It could look like showing hospitality without grumbling about it. Hospitality was extending yourself to others, uh, mostly outsiders, to those traveling or Christians who were passing through. You can actually look at 3 John as a good example of what hospitality should look like. But there weren't safe and clean hotels in those days. It was often risky to stay at places like that. And so hospitality required risking something and putting yourself out there to someone you may not have known that well. When he talks about speaking, the next one, speaking the oracles of God, this is referring to people whose ministry has to do with teaching or prophesying or preaching or, or some kind of verbal context. And then he says, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies, referring to more practically minded uh, ministries where there's hands-on type of help, those people who just move towards need, um, that gift. Now consider the diverse gifts and personalities of even just one congregation, maybe of our congregation, and then multiply that exponentially by the number of churches that are in our county and state and nation and world and multiply that by all the errors of human history that, that God has been generous with these gifts. And you'll see that God's grace is very, very diverse. So how have different people helped you to grow in Christ in different ways? As you think about that, you can see that God's grace is multifaceted. It's, it's diverse. It's unique. And for Peter, service really flows out of our identity our identity as servants. It's not merely an activity, it's a part of our identity. So earlier in his letter, he says in 117, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That, that part of how we're supposed to operate is this understanding that God is our master. In verse 22 of chapter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why does he say that? Verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, 
You serve because of who you are. You've been born again. And so then, because of that, you love one another earnestly. Chapter 2, verse 5. You're living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Speaking of us as priests, each one in the church. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. You see over and over again that Peter understands that, that this service, this ministry mindset flows out of who we are. And so maybe a question for us to consider is, have you fully embraced God's design to use you to help others and to show off His grace? His unique grace. Are you aware of how He intends to communicate His grace through the gifts that He's given to you? You know, I'll miss the unique ways that God's grace is represented here at Redemption. Um, and yet, because of this passage, at the same time, we can expect that, that the church we're going to, there will be a unique way in which the church will uh, communicate grace there. You know, as, as we look at this text too and think about this idea of varied God's varied grace, we can see a subtle warning against valuing any one person too much. Because we'd be, we'd be fools to just um, only want certain facets of God's grace and not all of it. And if God's varied, varied grace is given to the whole body by everyone's gifts, then we need to esteem that because it's a way that God reveals His grace to us. So let's think about the implications of, of this in ministry um, moving forward. You know, it's really the nuances and the differences between people and their gifts and their usefulness to uh, the body in ministry that, that shows the beauty of God's um, person and of, of, of his, his character and His generosity. You could think of it like a diamond where each little piece of the diamond helps refract and, and bounce the light around inside so that it, it's that much more brilliant. Maybe as an example of this, consider how important gifts of compassion and service are right now in the life of the church. That those who move towards people in need or move towards people who are isolated, how important those people are and their role is. Help those who are struggling with depression right now. Maybe those who are service-oriented are being used in their neighborhoods right now or are being used to help us with technology around the church or those who are mindful of, of widows and the vulnerable are the heroes of the church right now, aren't they? See, the life of any church is kind of like the changing seasons of a year. There's different demands in winter than there are in summer, and God knows what we need. And each person is needed equally. Too often when we're deciding how to serve or when to serve or if to serve, we're only thinking about the margin that we have in our schedules. But I think what Peter is showing us is that part of what we ought to consider is, I have been entrusted as a steward to display a certain aspect of God's grace to the body. So how am I, how am I needing to do that? Should be how we think about ministry and how we consider being useful in that way. See, our, our desire or our willingness to serve ought to be a desire to reflect the beauty of Christ in its fullness. 
and, and using these God-given strengths and these God-given gifts as good stewards. So maybe our schedules aren't as much the issue as God's glory is when thinking about this question. You know, you and I aren't just called to ministry activity. We are identified as servants in the Scriptures. Our Lord is identified by, by crucifixion and by his crucified service to others. And so service, it, it may feel foreign to you, but it's not foreign to you if you're in Christ. It's in alignment with who you are and, and how God has made you and what he's gifted you to do. And so dying to yourself and, and living for the good of others is, is your wheelhouse as a Christian, as a Christ follower. So, as, as his people, we can know his multifaceted grace and participate in that. Last thing we see in this text, and we'll spend a decent amount of time here, is that we would know his strengthening power. Service helps us to know God because it, it allows us to experience his power and strengthening in, in different ways. And it might be easy to think that in biblical times things were different and the original apostles and disciples uh, had some unique uh, you know, service mindset. But if you read this whole letter, you realize that the backdrop of what Peter is saying is suffering. You'll notice before our text and after our text both have to do with suffering. And I think this is partly because Peter understands that all love comes at a cost. Right? Perfect love was demonstrated through a crucified lamb. Love is cross-like. And so serving in the church, even at cost to yourself, is included uh, in what Peter means when he says later on in 419, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, why do I bring up suffering in this context? Because Peter and the disciples, during this time, they're serving from a state of weakness and vulnerability. They are exposed, they are struggling, they are suffering, they are serving from a position of weakness in need of strengthening. And so God is not only the source of gifts, and not only reveals this varied grace that he has, but he's also the strength of their application as well. So let's look at each of these and consider how it is that God, um, how, how service is really an invitation to know and experience this strengthening. Think about hospitality. Hospitality in this culture was a high, of high cultural value. It was expected in a lot of ways that it's not expected in our day. And yet it required a lot and it cost a lot. And so this is why people were tempted to grumble while doing it because they felt pressure to be hospitable, uh, and yet their hearts uh, could get sour about it, and so they'd grumble about it kind of after the person left or behind the scenes. And so the question is, how could a person extend love at great cost to themselves without grumbling? Think about how could that happen? Well, they would need some kind of incoming supply of love that was significant enough for them to give love through hospitality so that they wouldn't grumble. And that's exactly what the Christian has in the sacrifice of Christ and in the grace of Christ. We have a, an incoming supply. You could say they could pay the bill of hospitality because of the surplus from Christ. And in that way, he strengthens hospitality. Thinking about what Peter says about speaking. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So the people, when they spoke, they weren't just shooting from the hip. 
They were relying on God's words. They weren't just coming up with stuff. And this meant that people's reaction to their words were really people's reaction to God because they were careful to only use God's words and to borrow God's words. They were helpfully unoriginal, you could say. And in this way, they are relying on God's strength and on God's supply as they did their ministry. Look at the last one about service. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. This is the most blatant example. Right? Peter is saying that when people are serving, they are experiencing God's sufficiency in the midst of serving. So God is serving them as they are serving others. And there's a strengthening that happens in this context that can only be experienced when you allow yourself to be vulnerable in service. So we are, we are showcasing his strength when we make ourselves weak by offering ourselves in service. And serving is a lot like suffering. It's kind of this one-of-a-kind school that Christ has to teach us in. So do you see now how serving is an opportunity really to learn about God, to know God, to experience God's sufficiency? It's not just duty. It's relational. And this is why Peter ends the way that he does in verse 11, after he lists those three things. If God supplies the love to be hospitable, the words to speak and teach, and the strength to serve others in practical ways, and it makes sense that the end result would be, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Notice that God being glorified through Jesus is the overarching purpose of service. And this means that when we serve for any other reason than that, we're spoiling the purpose of service. And we see warnings of that in the New Testament all the time where people are serving for reasons that have nothing to do with glorifying God through Jesus, but are for for self-promotion or for some kind of gain. But if we are motivated, uh, drawing strength from Christ, the Father is glorified as the provider of the Son, and the purpose for service is maintained. Now, I see two implications of this knowing His strengthening power for us. One, in serving others, weakness is not only okay, but it's required. So God has designed us to serve um, in a way that requires him. And for too many of us, when service gets hard or confusing or difficult, we start to think, well, maybe this isn't for us, and we need to step back from doing it, when in fact, those are the moments and those are the opportunities for glorifying God the most. Because those are the moments when we are actually uh, being invited to trust him and rely on him and draw strength from him. It's the hardest part of the workout that has the most effect, right? It's, it's getting through the challenges in a marriage that make the marriage sweet. It's the most difficult aspects of a work project that, that unite a team together. And it's only in the context of our weakness and inadequacy that we can actually experience the strengthening power of Christ. So friends, when serving gets especially difficult, don't run, but rely. 
weakness and need are not signs that you signed on to the wrong thing. They are signs that are pointing you to the whole point of serving, which is to learn that God is strong. A smart woman said about this passage, God's work never lacks God's supply. And serving others in the church is this irreplaceable classroom for learning the character of God and for learning to love him more. It's not just about duty, so don't miss the opportunity. That's the first implication. Weakness is not only okay, but it's required. Second, how we serve is as important as what happens when we serve. How we serve is as important as what happens when we serve. That last sentence when it says that Jesus can be glorified in everything means that even the process is important to his glory, not just the end result. And that brings worth to even the frustrating and seemingly fruitless aspects of service, doesn't it? Can you think of a time when you've you've felt like you've been a good steward of God's varied grace and you've served others, but you really never saw much from it? Maybe you grew through the experience, but it didn't seem to have much effect. This text is saying that that process, that attitude, that reliance glorifies Jesus and fulfills the purpose of ministry, even regardless of what the result is. I think a good example of this kind of thing or this kind of tension can be um, seen in the day-to-day ministry of motherhood, right? Today's Mother's Day, and um, moms serve their families in thousands of ways that go unrecognized. And the effect of that day-by-day ministry is it's sometimes hard to notice because it's so gradual, right? And there's two steps forward and one step back. And then Mother's Day comes and there's this blanket recognition of this. And it's good that we celebrate Mother's Day. We should, but it, it, it's really inadequate, right, for, for fully appreciating what's going on. Imagine writing a job description for a mother of all that's required and then saying, your compensation is that once a year you'll be appreciated on a certain day, right? I mean, it just doesn't compare at all. So moms know this, that God notices every small sacrifice that's made, that the process of ministry is as important as the end result. And you might say, well, I don't really want God to notice the specifics because I get frustrated and I'm short-tempered and lots of things. And we, we know that many uh, moms feel um, inadequate for the task of mothering. But consider what we've said earlier, that serving in weakness and in insufficiency and in inadequacy, these are not inhibitors to glorifying Jesus. They are the means for glorifying Jesus. So you are in a position, even uh, as a mom, just serving in small sacrificial ways to glorify the Lord through that. So forsake the, the Pinterest fantasy goal of having the perfect home and the perfect children and being the perfect spouse. Right? Only Jesus accomplishes those things. The home he will provide will be far better than anyone that we can um, imitate on the earth. He will bring about an actual perfection, an actual sanctification of his people, and he will be the perfect bridegroom, qualifying us and making us his own. So don't just forsake the Pinterest fantasy as a mom, but make it your goal to teach those in your family to depend in the right way, to teach them to go where you're needy, 
to wear down the paths of reliance on God so that others might follow you in those paths. In regard to serving in the church, knowing that Jesus is glorified in the details, in our good attitudes when we could be frustrated, in loving the person despite their cold response, in doing the task even though it doesn't seem to yield anything. The end goal of glorifying Jesus can be accomplished even in those parts of ministry too. So, service or ministry is an invitation to know God more. And Peter isn't the only servant who knows this, right? If you think about others, uh, think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through through 6, says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Scriptures say that even Jesus himself learned through what he suffered. In Hebrews 5, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so what about us? Will we respond to this invitation to know God more? I pray that God would be using this time apart from each other in this odd pandemic season to reorient our lives in a few different ways. You know, things really have changed. And I pray that one of the things that has changed is uh, in you, and I know it's changed in us, is just an appreciation for the family of Christ. I hope that when things go back to normal at redemption, that God will have moved in us so that we are eager to serve, not merely out of duty, but out of a desire to know and experience Him. And that we are entering an all-hands-on-deck kind of season as a church. Really, every season is that way, but this one in particular. And it's important that as the church looks for another staff member and as things shift around, that that the body of redemption move towards these needs that surface and that people are are empowered to serve and and feel um, good about stepping forward and putting themselves out there and risking in this way, not just out of duty, but out of a desire to know God. So that it's not a short-term measure, right, until an additional staff person can be added or something, but it's, it's the body's glad responsibility in Scripture. Do you remember what Paul says about the responsibility of leaders? In Ephesians 4.11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's important for us to consider what kind of steward we are. What ministry has God given us to do? Our motivation can be to contribute to displaying God's very grace and reflecting His diverse grace to our community. Our motivation can be different than just duty, but to know and experience God in new ways through serving others. And there are opportunities now, right, to serve each other. We are still servants of Christ, even though we can't gather for for a season of time like we typically do. So this isn't just a a call to wait, but uh, to respond even now to this ministry stewardship that you have. Responding to service and this call to service really is sustainable if we operate from biblical motivations. 
And so I hope today maybe you've connected the dots between serving and knowing and experiencing God more. Maybe as a closing illustration, um, uh, I can remember as a kid helping around the house. And I can remember all kinds of different motives uh, that I had uh, when I did that. Uh, there's the avoid punishment motive. I don't want to be grounded, and so I'll roll my eyes and drag my feet, but I'll eventually do it. Uh, there was the duty, you know, that I felt as a part of the family. I was obligated to do something uh, and help. There was the motive of reward, right? Maybe there was an allowance involved or I had a short-term job of mowing lawns kind of a thing. Um, there was I'm just bored motive. What else am I going to do? There's the get on my parents' good side motive, which is there's something out there that I want. And so, that, sure, I'll, I'll be really willing for a while. And I see some of these motives, like the reward motive in Scripture. Uh, you see people serving from wrong motives as well. And I see these ironically now in my kids too. I can, you know... Um, as I think about my kids, I've seen the full kind of spectrum of, of motives uh, that I've listed there. Um, but I was thinking about uh, my son Hudson. And uh, Hudson is at the stage of life right now where if I ask him to do anything with me, he'll do it. He'll just jump in. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, he's willing. He just wants to be with dad. And, and in these times of serving together, we learn about each other, right? He learns what I can do and what I know and what I don't know. Uh, he'll try to do something and it won't be strong enough to do it. And so he'll learn about my strength as an as a older person. And he's learning little by little about his own limitations, which is an ongoing process. He can be in denial about his weakness. But the more we do things together, the more he learns to rely on me. And I think this is somewhat of a closing picture for what I'm calling for us to do. To think of service as a way to spend time and to get to know our Heavenly Father. To know the strength and the supply of, of Christ's grace as a different kind of motive. We just want to be with our Father. We want to be with our elder brother, Jesus, and learn from Him. Learn His sufficiency to be taught by Him and instructed by Him. Let me pray, just to close. Heavenly Father, we do want to be useful. We want to spend our lives well. We want to serve um, in the strength that you supply. And Father, there's a lot of ways that we have served uh, with motivations that, that weren't glorifying to you. Maybe we wanted to be noticed. Maybe we wanted to benefit or gain in some way. Maybe we're using ministry as a way to receive your approval when you've already given it in Christ. God, would you help us purify our motives for serving? Help us to, to draw near to you, to see ministry and, and service as an opportunity to get to know you, to experience your strength in our weakness. I pray for our church that you would be leading us even in this time of not gathering together and in different ways and stirring our body in different ways so that when we come back together again, 
in, in some different circumstances that, that you would have moved people to step into their roles as priests at redemption. That there would be a sense of ownership and a, of stewardship about what we're doing. That our service would be joyful and not merely dutiful. So lead us in that way. God. We pray for, for church future church leaders, uh, for those who are qualified as, as deacons and elders to to be equipped and to be um, stepping forward, desiring uh, that good standing that Scripture talks about for deacons uh, and the crown that you preserve um, also for, for elders. We pray for ministry leadership. We pray for um, gaps to be filled. We pray for um, new ways that you intend to serve through this church uh, to be stirred amongst your people uh, in this time. So help us, Father, as we uh, await your instruction. Um, to be good stewards of this varied grace uh, and to, to serve so that we might know you more. God, let that be our objective and our goal. Uh, we pray these things in Christ's name and, and for his glory. Amen.